All right. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Hope everybody's well. Yeah, man. We're going to get it in on a random Saturday. This is how the schedule's kind of aligned. And so I'm kind of excited about this because I got a couple brothers here that I respect. I'm looking forward to hearing more about their thoughts. But we're going to dive in to this color purple thing in a quick minute. But uh, y'all know the deal. Or at least you should at this point. Like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel if you will. Uh, hoping that uh, we can keep the technical issues to a minimum. I'm, I'm, I apologize for starting a little bit late. I'm trying to preempt some of these things, but my system has been a little haywire this last few weeks, and I haven't been able to completely nail it down. So hopefully today will go smooth. But either way, uh, we're going to get into some of this. So again, support the channel. Uh, make sure that you uh, continue to help us develop and put forth independent blackmail thought. Uh, so we definitely want to do that. Also, make sure you uh, not only support the Onyx Report here on YouTube, you can obviously do so with the uh, you know Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, or the Patreon. And with the Patreon, you can be a patron of the Onyx Report on YouTube, the Institute for Blackmail Studies, as well as um, the Onyx Network, right? Which you can get on Amazon Fire TV, Roku, iPhone, and Android. So support the channel, support what we're doing, so brothers can continue to bring you ideas unfettered, right? So that's the other thing. Now, I do need to share, since this is the first opportunity, I will have to do so. Uh, that uh, the book is finally uh, on its way, y'all, right? It's available for pre-order on July 12th. Item will ship after August 2nd. This is the book um, that comes out of uh, my research, most particularly involving you, right? The, the Honest Report Brotherhood. Uh, it's called Solutions for Anti-Black Misandry, Flat Blackness and Black Male Death, The Black Masculinist Term. So the link is, uh, I will go ahead and put this in the uh, comment section. You guys can share, you can keep it, uh, mark it on your calendars and uh, come back and support when the opp opportunity presents itself. So just wanted to kind of put that there um, so you guys know, right? Stuff we're doing, starting to get traction, we're starting to move, the ideas are getting out there, um, you know, and because of the nature of the space, you got a lot of people that may not credit us directly, but Let's not forget that it is in motion, right? So I want to shout out to Stuart Knight, author, Stuart D. Knight, author. Um, well, he is an author, I should put it that way. Becoming a new member of the Onyx Brotherhood. Appreciate that. It's good, Brandon. Appreciate the support. Afro National, what's up? Ron Matthews, I am one. Uh, Wrench Turner, what's good? We've got Javis in the building. Quiet Storm, Jay Spence. Malika, good brother Malika. Appreciate that support. Extending love to the channel. Um, good to see you in here. Urban Nat Naturalist Apothecary. Apothecary, excuse me. Uh, what's good with you, man? Chukwu, what's up? Indigo, what's good? Mark, what's good, man? Uh, Afro National, um, Peter Soul, what's up? You know, Paul in the building. Got Tommy. What's up, Brother Damon? Quiet Storm with the support. Appreciate that early. Says, uh, Checking in, doctor. Dropping it on teacher's desk. Classes in session. Much appreciated. Ian, good brother Ian in the house, supporting the channel as usual. Y'all give some love to Ian. Um, let's see here. You brothers rolling in. Malika again. Appreciate that. Uh, got Greg in here. Hey, Rube. 
LAPD SWAT. Damn. Okay. Atlanta State uh, FI. Right. Wrench Turner with the support on the wood. Appreciate that. Brotherly Love becoming a new member of the channel. That's what's up. Chaos Rain. What's good with you, man? Enjoyed the uh, clip of your show I did get to see last night. Um, Mark, go ahead and put your book uh, in the uh, in the chat for people to find it. All right. So I'd like to bring up a couple good brothers to help me address something that uh, has been in the culture for the last few decades. And I think this meme kind of sums it up well. Right. So if you can see it, the top panel says black feminist academics. Right beneath it, it says data, decades of peer-reviewed studies, history, and your fucking eyes. And below it, what about the color purple? Right? Just blasting away any kind of peer-reviewed study, history, data, whatever. Right? This is pretty much what we're dealing with at this point. Right? It's it's damn near, you know, this damn near a religion. That's what that's what you know my thoughts on it are. Color purple, Alice Walker's influence. And of course, black feminism in and of itself, most particularly its most garish and uh, misandric aspects, have damn near become a religion. And so it's become important to reintroduce the very ideas that really serve to undermine the black community again to a new generation. First, they had a stage musical. Now they're doing another theatrical go. And it's, it's interesting that this comes after Oprah finally puts up an acknowledgement that uh, the, the deadbeat dad narrative that she helped promote was inaccurate. Shout out to Swing Out Museum. Says Dallas checking in. Appreciate that support. All right. Again, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel. We can continue to bring you this independent blackmail car. So to help me break this down, I wanted to bring in two people. Um, and one was extremely last minute. I mean, he responded from the chat. So I didn't get a, put, get a chance to put his name in the, or his title in the title. But uh, first, I'm going to bring in Dr. Travis Hood Scholar Harris, and then I'm going to bring in uh, Layman's Journal, and we're going to chop it up and make sense of some of this stuff going on. So let me go ahead and welcome both brothers. What's going on, man? How's it What's going? What's good? What's good? Yeah, man, I needed to I need to bring some of the heavyweights in, man, because this is this is getting ridiculous. Um, now, yeah. I want to shout, shout out all there's a three of you. I want to shout out, to, you know, Travis, uh, Dr. Harris. Because he's been doing this work for a while as well. And we actually did a show. He actually reminded me. He said, we already did a show on Color Purple and, uh, you know, and broke some of this down. Layman's Journal did a beautiful breakdown of the film itself a while back. Uh, and it was so good that I just had to, I was going to shout him out. And then I saw him in the comments and I was like, man, if you don't get up in here. Get up in here. <laughs> so he was, he was kind enough to uh, change the schedule and pop through. I also want to shout out Passport OG who did a very good uh, breakdown uh, of, of a critique of it using clips from myself and Dr. Tommy Curry. Uh, so I want to shout out Passport OG. But um, let me go ahead and start with you, Dr. Harris. You know, what are your thoughts about some of this? And I'm going to play the, the new trailer in a minute. But what are your thoughts about this whole color purple phenomenon? Yeah, so the dope part is I would I will say if anybody haven't seen the first episode we did, go back and watch it. Right, because I don't remember. I'm surprised I saw you for that joint was jumping, doc. Like that joint <laughs> did numbers, man. And remember, um, it ended up being three hours. Remember, we were supposed to just cut it short, but the conversation just kept going, kept going, kept going. But in that previous show, 
we basically broke down historically this black male caricature of a of a beast of a brute right almost to the point that we had been dehumanized and we followed that historically from slavery all the way up to contemporary present day but the the the, the checkpoint in that was the color purple because during this time period this was the first time where historically we saw it was the white person who was creating these caricatures right uh -huh. but in color purple unfortunately it was the first time we saw a black person who was playing a role in contributing to, to the car caricature of the color purple uh -huh. right so the first the first like punchline I really want to hit hit everyone with is this I started noticing the landscape influenced by feminism right and what I noticed was there has been a shift where the problem has shifted away from being white supremacy to now the problem is patriarchy right mm -hmm. so let me break this down so think about this right throughout history in this country we can clearly see slavery um enslavement um Jim Crow um lynching mass incarceration all these issues but with the late 60s and early 70s right feminism has played such an effective role and in many ways one rewriting history mm -hmm. right you get the, the crazy parts of um slave masters learning how to um basically control their slaves by looking at black men which is wow right because mm -hmm. black this is crazy right to to now even in the color purple right the time period is supposed to be focusing on the 1900s mm -hmm. so instead of looking at the failure of reconstruction the race riots from Tulsa to East St Louis um Jim Crow lynchings the continual debt peonage and all these historical events that was literally shaping black life the problem isn't white supremacy right right it's patriarchy mm -hmm. and not not just patriarchy right is mister a black dude yeah yeah <laughs> i tell people all the time man my grandmother-in-law <clears throat> went to her grave with a virile hatred of danny glover mm -hmm. simply because he played that role she hated that man until her grave because he played that role he became the face of black men, much like you know, Furious Style and Boys in the Hood kind of became the face of a new black fatherhood in the early 90s. You know, Glover became the face of patriarchal, oppressive, abusive black men, which at a certain point in the imagination became synonymous with black manhood as a whole. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, I want to bring Layman in here, Layman's Journal in here, uh, because you did a beautiful breakdown of the film, and I want people to check it. Uh, so feel free to put the link in the uh in the chat when you get a chance but you know what are your thoughts overall as far as the color purple you know your childhood in regard to it what are, what are your thoughts in, in relation to that when i think of the color purple i think of my parents and grandparents generation now uh i'm what you call a oops baby you know my uh <laughs> my father was born in 22 my mother was born in 37 i was born in 80. okay so when you talk about that that's the world they would supposedly lived in that was their era especially my grandparents and coming up you know because i saw the movie when i was like five or six years old 
and I had a family member that took me to go see it and she was a bit of a feminist and it was indoctrinated within me that it was a true narrative of how life was back then you know but as I got older you know I came across this study and it talks about how a large chunk of your childhood is not true <laughs> and so I had remembered this movie as being good as being right. uh, actual history mm -hmm. but it was not until I got about older and my father died about six years six seven years ago mm. that I started I to that. talk to them about 10 12 years ago about what life was like really like back then and neither of my parents liked the movie they mm. both said it was clearly BS mm -hmm. I mean you had your isolated incidences of a mister but it was never this cultural phenomenon where you had black men that had complete control of the community right that were essentially trading around young girls like horses which you saw in the color purple mm -hmm. you know and if you had guys like mister or if you had guys like Seeley's uh father those guys according to them were just taken back into the woods somewhere the rest of the mm -hmm. men in the community would grab those dudes up take them back in the woods and wouldn't come back with them mm -hmm. so this wasn't embraced so which, is, which real quick is a form of protection that black women particularly will not credit black men with publicly because we heard the same kind of things when it came to um oh goodness what's the sister's name how am i blanking on her um still i rise uh, uh what's her name my angelou and my angelou talked about being molested as a young girl and when she finally opened her mouth and told the family most particularly her father that man as you said was you know kind of taken into the woods he was never heard from again and it even it was so chilling to her she didn't speak for a long period of time after that because she found that her word caused what she believed the end of life end of the life of someone else when in actuality this was a demonstration of black men protecting so, so what you're describing is something that black men don't get credit for. And as a matter of fact, we're, we're chastised for not doing when you got a history of black men doing this. But, but I want you to continue your thought. I just wanted to add to that. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the pitfalls, the thing that, that brought me into the movie and probably a whole generation is that from an artistic point of view, strictly artistic, it's well produced, well acted, well directed, well scored. It's all fictional. It's all BS. Mm. But because it's done so well, people are inclined to believe i think it was directed by steven spielberg and produced by kathleen kennedy that's another mm -hmm. name when you talk about what she's done with star wars exactly but uh it, it it was huge and it took me a long time to get out of the programming in believing that this was a true you know true story yeah yeah i mean i was i don't know how old i was when it came out um i read the book several times as a kid alongside watching the movie i mean th these were the latchkey days so you know in the summers especially my sister and i were in the house and all we did was watch tv so i saw color purple every time it came on what was it hbo and, you know and they used to play stuff over and over again so i watched it a hundred times read the book several times and i thought as a child this must be true not only because it was on screen but because the, the women in my family and community highly advocated it i mean they had emotional responses to scenes and conversations. And I remember the war tribe councils that would happen in my mother's living room. And you know what I mean? So when you grow up with that, you just, you know, you're like, well, this must be true. There's all this passion about around it. And it's coming from the women that sired you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There, there's no way this can't be true. This is the person you depend on for your very sustenance. 
as a baby through you know early toddler you depend on so for you it, there's no separation let me uh quickly shout out uh you know ms delta what's up for that generous donation says happy memorial day weekend brothers same to you uh, appreciate that support um we got a couple more shout out to mogul max or mogul maze excuse me movie was a revelation of where the black relationship was heading in and we see it 35 years later real talk real talk uh shout out to ak's and curtains for the 10 dollars spot appreciate the support um but yeah so you know there, there oh there's one more my bad um had a soul uh it says uh the fact that a black man can't direct a fictional movie on abuse in a <laughs> in a, a fam uh that tells you all you need to know that's real because we could say short of what was um Oh my goodness. There was one movie that most of us can talk about black males having been molested as children. There's one movie. Antoine Fisher. Antoine Fisher. Now notice that. Now here's the thing. I forgot the title, but I was in the process of looking it up and some said, no, just describe it because I wanted to show you that how quickly other brothers picked it up because it's the only movie. Yep. You, you know what I mean? It's it's maybe there was something in the midst of the seventies buried somewhere, but in terms of you know post nineteen eighty, no. So Asan, I actually researched this right, okay. and I felt there was like a scene in Pulp Fiction, um, where basically the the dude was being molested by the two white races. Yeah, yeah. but it's like so. Um, and this is another point I was gonna make, and we look at that landscape of the Hollywood machine and the media machine, mm-hmm. the landscape presents black men, abusers, rapers, violent, mm-hmm. and then others as victims, um, self-discovery, journey, wholeness. Yeah, they go through a process. And and the other thing is there's always, and, and now in this, this contemporary movement, right, where and actually, I I don't want to go off on this, but because I, I, we almost got to do another uh, another conversation about this. But it seems like um even Marvel is trying to move towards let's just make black men the villain. The villain. Mm, I know. <laughs> yeah. Because I saw that in um what was the it was the one of the recent Marvel films Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep, Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant Man. And I was like, hold on. So are we always villains? So, I, but Marvel always put a spin on it. So I don't think that. But the point is across the spectrum right the reason why this is so important because if you bring it all together if we have 100 centuries of villainizing black men and now you have a contemporary cinematic presentation that's happening all over the spectrum then there's no way it's going to be completely inevitable to deny the influence it's going to have on our minds and the way we view black men think think about how easily Jonathan Majors in real life became a villain to people. Yeah. You know, the programming that we've had for generations, it, it didn't take but a second to switch in. And he's the one that called the police. They actually right. showed evidence, video evidence that the woman that accused him, uh, you know, that, that she had lied about her condition. She said her hand was broken, this and that. And they showed video of her after the incident at a club chilling. None of that resonated with the general public. You know, he's still being blackballed. Uh, real quick, shout out electrician. 480 for the support says salute dr johnson and your guests um I'm glad you're talking about this there's a great article on this particular topic okay go ahead and put the link in the in the chat but also though something you mentioned earlier uh dr harris you talked about you know this the point where with feminists 
you know, somehow they began to describe us the same way white society did. And, and Dr. Tommy Curry refers to this in regard to subculture of violence theory. And he actually shows us the, and he names them and documents the actual feminists that begin to cite racist scholarship as their starting point for defining black manhood, their starting point for how they envision and interpret black manhood. So it's not pure coincidence and coincidence, and it, it doesn't come out of nowhere. They actually took this racist, racist white scholarship as accurate, as true. And, they, and I really do believe some of them may have combined this with personal experiences they had. And that became the impetus behind, you know, their depiction of black men, which of course evolved eventually into what Oprah would introduce. And, I, and I've said this repeatedly, Oprah was the spigot that opened up and, and, and you know, let forth uh, this flood of misandry and normalized it in black culture on a scale we had not seen before in popular media. And then, of course, by the time you get to the color purple, we're talking about Steven Spielberg. And yep. if you're not familiar, if you're not old enough, if you don't remember things like E.T., like the impact Spielberg had on American culture, I mean, was vast. From Jaws to E.T., the man was a juggernaut. So mm -hmm. to have his name and Quincy Jones and others associated with this film, it gave it the veneer of just truth and accuracy on a scale that we just were not familiar. Any thoughts about that? Well, yeah, one of the things I always talk about is that entertainment media is more than just entertainment, it's propaganda through art. Yes, sir. That the whole purpose is just to influence your mind with fictional stories, and even though the stories are fake, the message behind the story is always real. Hmm. I mean, even going back to how we learned, I know I grew up watching Sesame Street. To me, it was just entertainment, but as you know, it's actually the purpose was education. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, you know, I always have this discussion with people is that that's, that's where the culture is primarily influenced through entertainment. And so when you talk about Steven Spielberg, I remember uh, seeing Jaws for the first time. I didn't even want to go in the swimming pool <laughs> as to how affected I was by, by sharks coming. That's right. That's right. You know, <laughs> so to have it when the color purple was huge, I'm not surprised that it has such a cultural impact. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even now when we were talking about Jonathan Majors, when that whole story broke, everybody just assumed he was guilty. There were no facts and this side of the story didn't come out. We just heard one account. Uh, one brother in the chat, I think it was Swing Out Museum, mentioned Michael Irving. Mm -hmm. That story broke and the NFL Network immediately yanked him from Super Bowl coverage. Exactly. Again, we had exactly. no evidence. All we had was an accusation in the headline. Mm -hmm. And know, then they so released video evidence. Remember that? Yeah. And yeah. there was nothing incriminating about any of it. And, and I haven't heard anything about the NFL calling him back. Right. And I was going to say right here, I don't know if you know my story, Layman's, but I actually used to be a professor at VCU. And the same exact thing happened to me where the, the students um, made complaints. They weren't investigated. Literally, mm -hmm. all they had to do was complain. Mm -hmm. And their complaint meant me losing my job. And look, and, and I don't know if um if you know, and actually, Hassan, you can answer this. How many times can you think of a professor being pulled out of their classroom at, in the middle of the semester? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah. Like if something that means that something egregious, horrible, yeah. devastating, destructive could have happened. Yeah. Right. And they yeah. took me out in the middle of the semester based on quote unquote complaints. 
Yeah, this is this is a cancel culture that has gotten such it became such a juggernaut. I mean, you have male students, right, who are who will be arbitrarily accused on college campuses of any kind of offense, especially if it's considered sexual in nature. Their their police aren't often brought in. What they'll do is they'll establish a council of people on the in, in the academy on the campus, and those people will determine, often without evidence, what the outcome should be. And you'll find that those male students are often kicked out of school, right? Even in a scenario, if you involve alcohol, the idea is that if alcohol is involved at all, then and there's a sexual engagement, if she complains, it's automatically considered a sexual violation. But even when both people have been drunk, right, it's still considered his offense. So you have all these kind of things taking place without law enforcement's involvement, without an opportunity to a fair trial, without an opportunity with a request for evidence, and often without her name having to be exposed. Now, we've seen this in the public as well, right, where women will accuse people, everyday people, business owners, all the way up to celebrities, and their name doesn't even have to be introduced, even if it's found to be a false charge altogether. She's not incriminated. There's no punishment. It, at best, goes away if he has some kind of evidence that's ironclad. I mean, we saw this with the singer, uh, what's his name, Chris? Um, Chris Brown. Chris Brown, thank you. Yeah, he was. He's been accused on several accounts, but the, I think the latest one he was accused. He showed text evidence that what she was accusing of him of was not true. Her name was never exposed. She just went away. There was no punishment, nothing, and and folks didn't even apologize. They just kind of said, "All right, you get off on this one." You know what yeah. I mean? Um, shout out to Welt B. Uh, he says a couple of screenwriters made the point that you have to have the woman as the victim and not villain. Right? Or as the protagonist, if a woman is the antagonist in a film, the protagonist must also be a woman. See what I mean? Yep. It's become a, it's become like a, a like an equation, like a, a formula that, and that also, has to be played out. And I want to join because look at the depth of this, right? And this this literally crosses the whole time spectrum. Mm -hmm. On one hand, we can look historically where now even dead black men are guilty. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. How many examples can you think of of dead yeah. black men where they say, "Oh, I heard this," or "Oh, they"? they Will the, Chamberlain. The, yeah. Oh, the yeah. biggest example is Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Oh. People talk like Martin Luther King Jr. actually either um um cheated on his wife or did something. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the only source that they have is from this potential FBI's um videotapes whatever and we all know the fbi literally had a smear campaign on martin luther king jr yep yeah documented so that so we think about this historical precedence and we move that forward as we can see in the comments think about the psychological bearing this has on the lives of black men mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's so much so i joke about this it's on twitter when i go to the gym one one day i was considered wearing sunglasses Sometimes when I'm working out, I just close my eyes because it's like, well, what's going to happen? Am I going to look at a woman wrong? And next thing I know, I'm going to be viral on Twitter yes, yeah. or viral on TikTok for um, looking at this woman and making her feel creepy and uncomfortable. There's mm -hmm. no, it's, it's like stories like that is so common. This is another story. And it was a, this um, shopping mall. And this woman, uh, this, this man said to this, this young, to this woman, excuse me, ma'am. And she was like, stay away from me. Stay away from me. And she did all this stuff. And come to find out she might have just had something on top of her car or something. But mm -hmm. it's just literally subtle incidences can turn to 
oh, now we calling the cops and I'm getting mm-hmm. locked up? Or mm-hmm. And you know what happens if you call the cops, what's going to happen next? Oh, yeah. You might could be over. So yeah. I just want to uh, elucidate, bring to light the depth of literally the, the amount of information, even if it's come from an invalid um source that can that can be harmful that has been harmful and continue to be harmful to black men. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um now I'm gonna play the clip for the new one because a lot of people actually are surprised to find out that there is actually a new film. I mean we know there was like a stage play, you know, this has been talked about, but I want to play the actual clip and, and knowing YouTube, I might actually have to remove it later. So if that's the case and you're catching this on the replay, that's why. Uh, but shout out to Swing Out Museums. There's a hard read, Slavery by Another Name. Yep. Reenslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II, Douglas Blackman. Yep. Excellent book. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and play this clip and you guys can kind of see what we're dealing with. So here we go. Today, our teacher taught us about a place called Africa. She say our mamas come from Queens over there. That means that we, royalty. <laughs> I don't need you to love me. Afternoon, I need me a wife. Even if we have to part, you and me, us, us have, have one, one heart. I don't Get off my land! You... I rat you every day! Nothing but death can keep me from it! Oh, Miss Celia! You must ain't got no kinfolk around these parts. All I had was my sister. <laughs> She was the only one ever loved me. I'm gonna hold my head up. I'm gonna put my shoulders back. It's time for you to see the world. There's gonna be some changes made. Put it on. This ain't me. Hush. We need to look like we belong. Let's see the smile and color. <gasps> Sweet and loving God. thing about that uh let me take this before they replay it anyway so the thing about that is it, it takes on a different resonance in 2023 for a number of reasons right you have i always talk to my students about this whenever you have media you know it, it, even if it's reintroduced or redone or reimagined in a new time period everything that's happened up to that point plays into how we interpret this so everything from the rise of blm to black panther and don't get me started about black panther 2 Oh. Um, right to woman king 
uh, what's the, they even had the HBO show where they kind of did the Woman King thing before Woman King, the film came out. Um, uh, Lovecraft Country, right? Yeah. Hey, Harriet. All of those things. All of those things. And Harriet, absolutely. They all resonate and play into how we interpret this moment. So you can even see elements of that. I mean, tell me you didn't see Black Panther when, when they start talking about queens, right? And you're seeing these African women dancing. It took us back in many ways to the, some of the things that we've seen. And you got a whole new generation who are being indoctrinated with these ideas. And again, being you know really told that this is true, that this must be accurate. But as uh, as one of the, uh, I, I misplaced her, um, I posted her, her statement at the time, though. She said only the women were queens, though, right? So it was an interesting <clears throat> statement there. And I apologize for forgetting your name, but I did post it on the screen at the time. But, you know, it, this is what we're looking at. But any thoughts about the trailer? I'm going to come to the journal first, and then I'm going to go to Dr. Harris. Amazing production. Okay. The singing, the cutscenes, the music, it's, it's all inspiring. I mean, like you were talking about, we come from Queens. So, you know, I guess we didn't have any kings, no patriarchy back home in Africa at all. It was it was all matriarchal order. As you talked about woman king, you know, it's, it's this whole thing where the black men are the villains and the white, no, I'm sorry, and the black when the black women are the liberators. Mm -hmm. Then in the line you see in there, all I had is my sister. Right, right. You know, there, there's the whole sisterhood. That's all we got. It's just, yeah. Right. But there's, you know, there's no brotherhood. There's no manhood. There's no fatherhood. Nothing. But go ahead. Right. And I was just thinking about that. Uh, you mentioned Lovecraft Country. What was that, that that Regina King show she had on HBO? It was based off of a comic. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, from Watchmen. Watchmen. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean I, I'm thinking uh, that show right there. I think mm -hmm. it was the only brother was in there. He was cheating on his uh, wife, his pregnant wife with the white supremacist police officer. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it was at uh, Lou Gossett Jr. I think yeah. was that what you talking about? Yeah, yeah. When they went back into his past. And so not only not only, by the way, was it a white supremacist, it was a man, right? So it was a gay yeah. relationship between this, you know, supposed black liberation figure and this white male Klansman. And you can tell me which one was catching and which one was pitching, because if you watch you, you know, you already know. And and those are statements about manhood in and of itself being played out visually but continue. go ahead man yeah and like you said it's this 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 trend of putting uh this wedge in between us you know you you rarely see uh movies where you have black romance where you have a healthy relationship between a black man and a uh black woman i remember you did a show i didn't see the movie it was about that latest uh jurassic park movie <laughs> you know where you had the brother over here and the sister over here and clearly they weren't into each other Right, right. But there's, right. there's 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 rarely a coming together, but there's always a competition or a conflict between us. Right, right. You know, and I just and I, and I remember I saw this clip. Someone tagged me to it. I tagged you to it, and I said, "Doggone, they bringing this back. They won't mm -hmm. let us live. They won't let us be great. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> we can't have our image for anything." Man, and, and I I'm sorry, I'm such a nerd. Well, let me just quickly say, uh, yeah, Quincy Jones and uh, Steven Spielberg and Alice Walker and Oprah are still, matter of fact, even um, Rebecca Walker, which looks like, I think that's Alice's daughter. They're all tied to this film as well. They're all producing uh, at various levels, I, uh, you know, so they're still involved. They're still making money off this. But even when you talked about um, The Watchmen, the interesting thing about that. So if you're not familiar, there's a, I'm not going to go through all of it, but I will say there's an almost all powerful character 
in the Watchmen series. There was, you know, mm-hmm. it, came, it was a comic book. It became a movie, and then they did a series on HBO as a sequel to the movie. Right now, this all-powerful co- character is a white scientist, a male. By the time you get to this HBO sequel with Regina King, uh, this all-powerful figure decides to be a black man, right? right? But at a certain point, loses his memory. He gets beaten and killed, which is unfathomable for this character. So he, not only is he kind of a stay-at-home dad and kind of passive and quiet, and Regina King's character is the, the kind of masculine presence in the home, he, he has no bearing, no personality, no, no nothing. And when he's killed... The implication at this at the end of the series is that she's going to have all his power. So we're seeing these same kind of tropes of men being replaced by women, and especially in the black community and, and popular narrative over and over and over again. The subtext being we are not uh, we're really not men. This is why right. Tommy Curry names his book The Man Not. And even though there's a legacy of women not being considered women and historically speaking, in popular culture, it's accepted that the women are okay, they're normal, black men are deficient, and black women are supporting this narrative. And so real quick, before we get to Dr. Harris, we got ghetto user, appreciate the support, the support, uh, passing the tray, extreme uh, willful dislike of black men. You got Swing Out Museum again, he says, I miss black exploitation. You had steamy love between black men and women. You had black men and women fighting the man. What happened? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But Dr. Harris, your thoughts? Yeah, first, um, I wanted to ask you to put that Deacon comment up because since this is such a heavy conversation, that joint was hilarious. You said Fantasia got the Deacon face. I, I don't I know if y'all that. saw that. That joint was hilarious. That, that's why I love our people, y'all. We are hilarious. Um, so to the serious part, it's um, at, shout out to Afro Troop TV Land. They got it. Get off my lane, mm-hmm. right? So let me bring this full circle. Remember how I said mm-hmm. we moved from white supremacy to patriarchy. Mm-hmm. If you look in that film, who do you see with a gun shooting? Mm-hmm. A black man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is preposterous. Like, I mean, like, it's hard to even imagine a black man shooting like that during the early 1900s, right? Like, and shout out to the way Layman, if y'all didn't hear the way Layman uh, laid this out at the beginning, he said that his parents actually lived during this time period. And when black men did this, they basically got took to the shade, right? So right. one, this is just is a revision, is a rewriting history. This is the same thing what happened with Harry, right? With this whole bigger, long character that you mm-hmm. create a whole entire character that mm-hmm. there's probably less than zero point zero one percent of a of a, a black man slave catcher, right? Mm-hmm. Historically, looking at this, right? So you literally have to rewrite history in order to create this narrative, right? But let's look at this narrative. So during this time in the 1900s, and I mentioned this earlier, right? You literally have the um, what they call race rights, right? And um, what I did in this previous, in my previous semester teaching, I had all my students to make a list of the quote-unquote race riots or the time periods in which Black people were forced to remove out their land. And as we made the list, it just kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer. So much so, I don't know if if y'all just Google this thing called, quote unquote, sundown towns, right? That's a popular name for it. Mm -hmm. But there's this literally this long list of places all over this country where it wasn't the black man, but literally black, uh, I'm I'm sorry, literally white men, white men and women, right? Because that's what feminism want to do, right? They never count for the role that white women play. Mm-hmm. In hurting black people, 
right? Mm-hmm. So white men and women would come with shotguns. And basically that scene was a depiction of what was happening with white men doing to black people and black families. Mm-hmm. And because, so to bring this all together, because it takes very little evidence to prove what black men have done historically, when this is now shown, people are going to think, oh, is that how it was in the early 1900s? Mm-hmm. Black men were shooting at other young black women and telling them to get there. All day. See, I knew y'all was trash. Y'all been trash since the early 1900s, and y'all still trash today. Well, especially when you add in the movement to remove literature from schools, right? This only adds fuel to the fire because now it's that much more difficult to have an accurate historical record of what takes place because the students aren't even reading the materials that would normally, you know, provide that direction, that clarity, right? So all of this kind of ends up working together to our detriment. And this is the problem, right? So now, and this is on the flip side of it, right? On the flip side of it, um, when we think about freedom, when we think about liberation, when we think about wholeness, right? As y'all mentioned before, the center of the universe isn't black people, but black queens. Mm-hmm. It's black women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, so I, I land my plane here with this. We got a contemporary example when this happens. Yeah. Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What happened when, quote, unquote, three queer women were in charge of the movement and got $90 million? I mute my mic right there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to bring this up. Um, I'm going to walk through some of this. Uh, Shout out to Black Wizard. There's an excellent book on Sundown Towns by James Lowen. You can find it on Audible. Also, look up Drowned Towns. Google that one. You really want to, you know, stay up at night. Look up drowned towns and you'll see black towns that were literally uh, underwater. Right. So you have all kinds of situations that jumped off in terms of that. But let me go ahead and put up. Uh, where to go? All right. So we're going to listen. We're going to look at a little bit of this. So this is a piece. Um, oh, let me see. Shout out to Wannabe Mystic. It says I recently just saw Guardians of the Galaxy and the High Evolutionary Villain played by. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Although while brilliantly active was un- ultimately problematic for me, again, it's a subtle job at black men uh, and their inherent inhumanity. Absolutely. They didn't even make him look like an alien. He just looked like a regular brother walking the street who just became this megalomaniac, whatever. No, uh, no. So Hassan, let me just jump in on that point, right? Because I was paying attention to this. If you look at all the movies, right? A lot of the mainstream movies, and this is throughout the ages. Whenever the villain is a white person, they always have some type of costume. Mm-hmm. Even Donald's, right? And I mean, I ain't gonna lie, I kind of like Donald's. But if you look at the way Donald's, he 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 was made up. He he had a some level of humanity, but he was still something from uh do you think about the dude um in the Garden of the Galaxy one? He had this white paint on his face and he had the white and black paint, right? Mm-hmm. And say so all these examples when the villain was white, right, they were never just a regular old dude. But when all the examples of the villain was a black, even with Jonathan Mazes, when he became the um, what's what's his name? I forgot his name. King the Conqueror. Yeah, King. He just he's just a regular old black dude, just a big, strong, buff black dude. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is exactly the problem, right? Because we can never, we can't see just a regular white man or right 
a, just a regular white woman as a villain, right? They always have some type of um, customization. Right, right. But it was like the villain in Guardians of Galaxy 3, it was like his face was distorted and it was mm-hmm. covered up, but even his covered up face was still dis- was still distorted. Like his regular, let me let me make sure I'm clear on what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. His regular face as a black man was still mm-hmm. distorted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. So even our regularness as black men is inhumane. Yeah. And villain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now this piece though is an interesting kind of take on this. And this is coming from Ishmael Reed, uh, author, scholar, um, you know, been around for decades. And he was actually, and if you guys hadn't seen this, you can go to the Green Gorilla channel. There's an episode uh, where, oh goodness, what's the name? Tony Brown's Journal, where he shows up on there uh, with, um, I always mess this woman's up, Barbara Smith. He shows up and it's kind of a debate, uh, you know, black feminism and Ishmael Reed. Now I would argue that Ishmael Reed is representing black male studies before there's a formal black male studies. Like we know the formal field is introduced by Dr. Tom McCurry a few years ago, but there are, you know, there are certain figures historically who have really been doing work in this field before it formally existed. And so in this interview, you actually see Ishmael Reed laying out the blueprint for what we do now in terms of evidence. He's looking up stats on domestic violence. This was a time period where men, black men, were actually experiencing domestic violence at higher rates than black women. And he points evidence out at every point when he's debating this whole time uh, with Barbara Smith. And it's just a flawless execution. So if you go to the Green Gorilla channel, look up the episode of Tony Tony Brown's journal with Ishmael Reed, it'll blow you away to see that some of these arguments were even present during this color purple era. And they talk about the color purple too. And and he kind of brings in and he makes the critique and he's going to do a little bit of it here because this article was written in 2021. This is only a couple years old, uh, and it's called The Alice Walker Cult. A novelist who spreads falsehoods about black males and Jews is an object of white feminist worship, right? So this is March 14, 2021, Ishmael Reed. Um, you know, and uh, I'm gonna have, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but I'm gonna go through a portion of it. I'm also gonna have, uh, I'm gonna have Snoop uh, read it as long as it's gonna work. But let's see if you guys can hear it. Uh, give me a thumbs up, Dr. Harris, if you can hear it. A recent February issue of the New Republic, the reviewer Jennifer Wilson includes a comment made about me by Sally Misha Tillett in her book In Search of the Color Purple, the story of an American masterpiece. In her book, she makes insubstantial claims about my criticism of the film, The Color Purple. She writes about my novel, Reckless Eyeballing, that I turned Walker into the fictional character Tremonisha Smarts, who gains fame for writing Wrong-Headed Man a play about a black man who goes around bashing and raping women that is so successful that the white feminist theater producer Barbara Sedgwick wants to adapt it into a movie. No such character exists in my novel. Tilly provides no evidence that the character is based upon Alice Walker, nor does the character Ian Ball, despite his psychological problems, rape women. She says that the assailant in the novel is unknown. She hasn't read the book. Tilly- okay, so the importance of that is he's talking about how black feminists are already, already using his work to justify an agenda to tear down black men, even though they use it inaccurately and demonstrate that they didn't even read his work in the first place. Oh, man. So he continues. Till it repeats the canard that I call the color purple a Nazi conspiracy. This is the second time that the New Republic printed this accusation. It was first made by another Walker cultist, Professor Victoria Bone. I wrote a letter to the New Republic seeking to set the record straight. At first, 
I was told by editor Chloe Sharma that the magazine doesn't print letters anymore, but that I could write an article. I did that and was then told that the article wasn't right for the surprise. What we have here is cultish behavior because what we have here is a cult, the cult of Alice Walker. Okay. So he's starting to introduce that and he's going to talk us a little bit through, um, you know, some of the work he's doing around color purple. As far back as 1986, I was being dragged into discussing the color purple by cult members. That year, I was invited to appear on the Today Show to discuss reckless eyeballing, a satirical send-up based on the feminist remark that, for whistling at Carolyn Bryant, Emmett Till was just as guilty as the men who murdered him. Of course, before her death, Bryant said that she lied. But we already knew that because the FBI report of the murder noted that she had lied. The weekend before my appearance, a black woman who was working on the show called and said they wanted to talk about the color purple. The film. I agreed as long as my book was to be discussed which my publisher at the time, St. Martin's, said was the purpose for my appearance. And while I was flown in from California, I was accompanied by the St. Martin's publicity director to NBC studio, where I was ambushed with a debating partner, the Chicago newspaper columnist Clarence Page, who told me that he had been flying around the country defending the movie. The host asked me about the film, which was up for an Oscar that very day, nominated by a board of governors that itself completely lacked diversity. I said it was an example of Hollywood's war on ethnic America and cited how Italian Americans are depicted in the movies. I said that it was the kind of movie that the Nazis made about Jews. I had in mind the Jewish rapist and pimp in the Nazi film Judge Seuss, cited in Reckless Eyeballing, and Nazi cartoons that show Jews and blacks as sexual predators. I learned that Jewish men in Nazi Germany were regarded in the same manner as black men in the United States when attending a showing of Judge Seuss, sponsored by the San Francisco Holocaust Museum. However, I haven't run across a Nazi film that shows Jewish males or black males committing incest. Okay. Now, Dr. Harris, I don't know how much of that, you know, you heard. I hope everything came through clearly. But he's talking about the portrayal of black men. And he's saying that, you know, even as much as how Nazis would represent Jews, he's still not seeing a Nazi film where Jews are committing incest. <clears throat> but we see this with black men. Any thoughts about that early on? Just that, that in and of itself. Yeah, just the fact that, because Ishmael Reed was the first one, he was, he was actually active in the late 80s and early 90s, mm -hmm. um, challenging a lot of, um, actually, remember, he was the one who challenged Barbara Smith on yeah, the, on the Tony talking. Brown Journal show, right? And I think this goes along with what we talked about in the previous episode with the media depictions of Black men, right? As in, it's acceptable. So, you know what? No, let me step back, right? And we just think about, and, and Lehman could speak to this more, then I can't because he's in media. But we know the purpose of media, first of all, is to make money, right? You want to be able to sell money. I mean, be able to make money and you selling a product. So mm -hmm. to do so, you need something that's sensational, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to sensationalize something, to sensationalize the myth, you got to sensationalize something that people will be interested in. Mm -hmm. That means the masses, the masses, the audience, the masses of people are going to be the ones that's driving, in many ways, driving, um, What's, what's being produced and created. So mm -hmm. basically what, what Ishmael is saying that if we make a film like this, right, because of the um, people want to want to go against, um, want to be, want to go against the, 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 the um, negative portrayals, the, the devastation that the Jews experienced during Holocaust, right? Because they recognize that and, and because they recognize the pain and the damage and the suffering that they experienced in Holocaust, they do not want to continue. Do, do they? They do, they do not want that to perpetuate, right. right? But when it comes to black men, it's just entertainment. It's okay to see black men suffer. 
or it's okay to see black men in the role of causing suffering, mm -hmm. right? Because whereas there has been some love, there has been like reorientation, um, healing, um, a reparation and restoration for Jewish people, that has not happened for black men. Mm -hmm. A journal, go ahead and weigh in on this, man. What do you think? I'm sitting here and listening to this, and it's like these debates. When when has this woman ever been, you know, held her feet to the fire and challenged on any of this stuff? Mm -hmm. She's just allowed to throw that out there. Yes. You know, and the assumption is that it's true. And you talk about her, and I, and I always thought to myself, you know, because even talking with my parents and stories that they told about my grandparents, you know, I, I don't recall a history in which black men ever had control of the system to where we could have this kind of strength over black women. You know, and that's why I always thought it was a fallacy for black women to be caught up in feminism mm -hmm. because that wasn't our war. That wasn't our existence. At the very least, we we always had a partnership, but we've never had that kind of strong authority over them. Oh. We were just as oppressed. And so, you know, it, it just, it blows my mind because I, I, I'd never seen this. And it talks, he talks about how the not the uh the yahtzees would use the same methods against jewish men mm -hmm. so in the way that so you see this this methodology where they're they're picking up the same tactics to tarnish us that other groups have like you all have always talked about mm -hmm. no absolutely and, and and to your to your question about you know how this is rationalized by feminists it's interesting with white feminists who are talking to white men Right. They have a history. They talk about abuse. They talk about really what they're talking about is women being alienated from positions of power. Uh, and that's their primary focus. When black women absorb this kind of paradigm, they couldn't have the same discussion. They couldn't use the same talking points because black men were on the auction blocks with black women. As a matter of fact, we were brought in in greater numbers, especially early on. Black women weren't brought in in significant numbers till about 60 odd years before the formal end of slavery. This meant that black men were the primary focus and they worked you until you died and they replaced you. They only started bringing in black women in higher numbers when they needed to reproduce their own populations of enslaved Africans for the purpose of not having to bring them over because it became illegal to forcibly transport them over the ocean. So that's when you had the uh, certain American states proposing to bring more women over so they could breed their own population of slaves. This is the dynamic in place. So then they started bringing over black women, African women, were actually more sought off, sought after in um, in uh, Arab slavery, right? Because you had you had the European slavery, you had Arab slavery, and then you had Africans, you know, enslaving themselves on the plant on the continent itself to varying degrees, right? But when it came to Arab enslavement, they fixated on African women, right? And and so you had a lot of men being neutered, you had women being brought in and, and forced into brothels and things of that situation of you know forced marriages and, and enslavement but when it came to european enslavement it was more about labor so they fixated on black men and literally th there was no you know there was no trying to take care of those you enslaved so that they could work longer no they worked you to death and replaced you and so and and so just that that point that european labor was fixated on labor Arab enslavement was fixated on other issues, especially when it came to sex. That dictated how slavery was engaged. And, and here in the West, it was about labor, which meant that men were the focus in terms of that. So what I'm saying with this is black women, uh, when it came to rationalizing this kind of feminist moment, they could not speak to the same history as white women. So what they ended up doing, and this is something you'll find in individual discussions, and I'm, you know, and you guys can tell me if you had these experiences. 
what you'll have is women will cherry pick, black women will cherry pick historical moments to rationalize the, uh, the, you know, the attack on men, on black men, right? So they'll say things like, well, you know, women couldn't have credit cards, they couldn't own property, you know, black women raped and, and black men raped and abused us, so on and so forth. Uh, I'm supposed to use terms like rape, I forget sometimes, I'm a classroom teacher, I don't do that in the class, but anyway. Uh, they'll they'll use these kind of cherry picked moments that are usually, and this is where you know flat gender kind of plays in too, because sometimes they'll take experiences that are narrativized as something women as a group experience, and they'll use that as a weapon against black men to justify productions like The Color Purple, to justify the misandry that's so present in it, and in many respects present in the culture of an African American culture. They'll use these things to justify that. And, and, and you're just supposed to shut up and take it, even though much of this really doesn't apply to the black community. And it doesn't apply to black men. Now, we're, have, have black men been abusive to black women? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if you check the data, the majority of it is bi-directional. So, you know, even if you go back, you know, into our great grandparents era, you didn't have these, you know, shrinking violent women that just got beat and took it, you know, like the color purples. You, you know how many stories black women to this day brag about on Twitter? on how their great-grandmother shot their great-grandfather in, 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 in the arm or the butt or something of that nature because he was seeing another woman or hit him with a pan or attacked him with a knife. These are bi-directional incidences, and they've been going on for generations. But this narrative supersedes that with, as you said, Journal, excellent production and acting and music. Even the scores are moving. You know, I still remember the songs they sang in the original Color Purple will move you to tears until I was old enough to figure out what the fuck this shit was. Mm, right. You know, but these narratives take the place of historical accuracy and they replace them with emotion. Right. And you walk away and you're supposed to get swept up in the emotion and disregard what's actually historically accurate. Right. Okay? But oh, go ahead. So I, oh, good. No, now, now I was thinking about like, uh, what was it like? Uh, Woodrow Wilson was president. And during this time, you know, the KKK had fallen on hard times. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the numbers have, had dropped off. But then there was this do documentary or this fake series of uh, shows, uh, uh, what was it called? The Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how that was screened in the White House and he called it uh, History Written, written by Light. Light. Yeah. And that movie or those series of movies was used to revitalize the Klan. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was all fictional, but it was art. And when you come into settings like this, it's easy to tear this stuff down because it's not based on anything. Mm -hmm. But see, the power of art is where it can, it can change someone's mind, even if it's fictional. And I remember you were doing a, a show, Doc. Uh, you were talking about this conference where they had these black filmmakers, and it was all women in the room. Mm. There were no black men there to tell our story, mm -hmm. you know. And so you know, you know, you know the women they're going to pick. They're not going to pick any women that's going to be fair or even partial towards black men. They're going to be ones that are on the program. Mm -hmm. They're going to be feministic in their nature. And so it's kind of like we know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's kind of like we don't have a chance to really get our voice out necessarily in, in terms of Hollywood, because even when you talk about the color purple and you were talking about this debate here, you're talking about NBC playing a role in all of this. You know, you know, where, where's our I guess you could say our representation as black filmmakers. I mean, this, you know, I was I was so proud to see um, Creed three because mm -hmm. it's one of the rare occasions where you see black men as a directors, as writers coming up with something where we can have our fair perception of who we are but for right. the most part when you talk about black film and black cinema you're talking about black women a lot of occasions especially mm -hmm. going back to oprah mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I want to make three points. One off the the first, the last point you made, Layman, which was fire. Like when we when when we are able to create and produce, then you get a full perspective of the black man, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at um man, I'm I'm man, I'm blanking on Jonathan Major's character in Green Three. Um, what's his name? Uh, Damian. Damian. Huh? You said in Green? Oh, Creed. I'm sorry, Creed Three. Yeah, Damian. Oh, uh, Damian. Yeah. yeah. You saw everything about Damon, right? Because at times you upset with him, at times you understand with him, at times you rooting for him, right? Yeah. So and ladies might want a little. And that's how it is. With, with that's that's your that's a more accurate depiction of black men, right? We don't just and because this is the part. And I said this other day on Twitter. I don't want to hear anything you got to say about black men. We don't have any healing for black boys. Mm. Mm. I don't want to hear anything you have to say about black men if you don't have any healing for black boys. Right. Right. Yeah. And because and then the other part, right? Um, and I, I I'm kind of hesitant to say this, but I gotta like we we all grow and change. Um, so don't throw too many stones at me, y'all. But um, y'all you can say while I was in grad school, I was a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, um, and this goes back to the point you was making earlier, Hassan. All I did, and this 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 elucidates this this cultish behavior that he was talking about that Ishmael somehow with Alice Walker and that happens with feminism. When I was in it, right, only thing I would do at times is ask questions. Mm-hmm. I didn't say y'all are wrong. I didn't say I'm no longer a feminist. I said, okay, hold on. If black men have access to privilege, I grew up in the hood. My dude, my homie right now is doing fair times. How do I reconcile the two, the access to privilege on one hand and my homie being locked up in the feds right now on the other hand? Mm-hmm. And one, I, I was, and so first the problem was that I even asked the question, right? Right, right, right. So right. That, that that's a sign of cultish behavior, that mm-hmm. you can't even have a decent conversation without it being some type of backlash, some type of, ah, oh, it's like, bro, I'm just asking a question, right? Mm-hmm. And then this, this, the answer is gonna blow y'all mind. This woman at a conference told me he will have privilege when he get out of jail. Wow. A, a jail wow. she didn't have to go to. Right, right. This is, un, uh, excuse the language, Hassan, this is unfucking believable Oh yeah. Because okay. think about, we know, even, even Michelle Alexander about this, talked about this. And so we know what happens once you got a record, mm-hmm. right? You, you, the disenfranchisement is crazy. It's hard to vote. It's hard to get a job. It's hard. And you're saying that you have privilege right? after you get out of jail? Right. Yeah. Unreal. Absolutely. Like the levels of absurdity is crazy. Mm-hmm. But this just shows like this cultish behavior that we're dealing with. Absolutely. Right? That if you just ask questions and you don't get in with the program, then you get silence, you get pushed to the side, and you don't get the complex views, the full perspective of views of black men that we should have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I wanted to uh, give you just a real brief, because we're going to go back to Ishmael Reed, but I wanted to give you a really brief demonstration of the what, what Kevin Samuels used to call the low boiling contempt for black men. Uh, and I definitely want to get uh, Journal to weigh in on this, but you know, let's check this out. Oh, hold on. 
Recyclable trash. All right, y'all. So, ladies' night went a little like this. Nay say her ex is a trash ass nigga. Recyclable trash can ass nigga. Get the fuck out of here, nigga. Foreign say her nigga a whole dog. Y'all see the dog part. What we got coming up next? Okay. Ashley say her ex a whole Krabby Patty. That nigga have fun flipping burgers with extra ketchup, extra pickles. You heard me? Krabby Patty ass nigga. Tika say these niggas for everybody. That's why we got to drink out the same bowl. Because these niggas for everybody. All right. What's next? Okay. Mine. I got an eight shit ass baby daddy with a set of twins. So y'all see the twins flirting around and the shit at the top. Because I got an eight shit ass baby daddy as an ex. The fuck? And last but not least, we got Jack Frost. Jessica say her nigga cold as ice. You hear me? Ladies night was a success. We have fun. Next time. Oh, man. This, this, now, here's the thing. I didn't go res I didn't go look for this. This is so rampant. It just came across. This, this is the stuff that black boys and girls grow up witnessing in their own family. The low-boiling contempt that plays out on a day-to-day basis right much of this supported by films like the color purple and a lot of the work done by uh what's her name who is often supported by oprah um um oh goodness not tony morrison but um the other one that did uh uh, some of the other films with um oh uh, how stella got a groove back you know you know her name is slipping man i know you're talking about my mind right at this moment but i know the brothers in the chat will catch me in a minute but, you know, when you look at that legacy, those that legacy of work, right, this was the kind of co- low-boiling contempt that they merely brought, Terry McMillan, thank you, Malika, that they really brought to the mainstream. But this is the shit we grow up hearing in families. But your thoughts on this journal? Yeah, you know, when the Hood Scholar said something, he said he when he was young, he was a feminist. Most of us were raised that way yes. to be feminists. Yes. You know, I... I yes. <laughs> Especially in our society, you know, where we have in this post-feminist society that we live in, and you know, a lot of us grow up in in, in, in single-parent homes. We don't have a dominant, strong male figure around. It's it's unfettered. It's always one-sided, mm-hmm. and so we grew up thinking, conditioned to think that we just ain't, you know, what that mm-hmm. we just, we deserve to be talked down to and treated uh, and, and treated lesser than. Mm-hmm. And we talk about you talked about Doc. How it's really a gynocracy where. You know, it's not just black women in leadership. Women right. in general are ahead of, are seen as above us. We're second-class citizens within our own group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes back to where we talk, not just in our homes, but we hear, we see it in church. We see it in school. We don't see too many dominant uh, male figures in elementary school or preschool or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the problem is, is so generational and systemic that, like you said, you didn't have to, you didn't have to look far for that. That's right. that's mainstream philosophy, right? Within our culture, within our country, even when you see commercials, you know, uh, the black man is always the weak idiot. Mm-hmm. The black woman is always the strong one. You know, we. You know, I, I wish I could have put up the commercials. It's, it's so many commercials. Like There's so many. Like, yeah, yeah. But she's always strong and scowling, and he's laughing and joking. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, he's the goofy being drug along. This is the kind of subconscious program. Now, I know Dr. Harris has to go soon, and I want to say to Journal, I absolutely appreciate you come up, coming up. You're absolutely welcome to stay as long as you want, but I do understand if you have to go. Uh, I know Dr. Harris has to go soon. Uh, how, how much longer you got, Dr. Harris? I could... Um, you don't got to... No pressure. No pressure. No, I was going to see if I changed over to my phone 
on. I just want to have a my video up, and then I could stay longer. Okay, so that's well, what I was about to try now. Yeah, I didn't know if you had a chance to see what I played just a second ago. But... Yeah, I saw it because I mean, um, and this is what Lamey was talking about. I ain't gonna lie, bro. That 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 song is catchy as I don't know what. And so that's how they that and so this is the thing, right? They never for the for the for the um trap for rats, it's mm -hmm. never straightforward. It's always a trap. The cheese yeah. is catchy, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And then you get caught. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's 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 sad because this is just part of this contemporary social media age, right? Mm -hmm. Where now hating on us is trendy. It is. It is. Right? Is this you gonna get likes? You gonna get retweets? You gonna get follows? You gonna get blue checks? Literally, there are whole influencer accounts. Yeah. That their account is based on anti-black misandry, or to say in other words, hey, no black men. It's yep. it's directly aligned with the white supremacist talking points that have already been prevalent for generations. It's right there. And really, what you can argue with much of this is most particularly these academic black feminists are able to align themselves in a way that benefits their careers. One of the things we can talk about, uh, about you know, this going back to something Journal brought up in terms of uh, the the lecture about films where there are no black men in the room. That I think I remember what I remember what he was talking about. The thing about it is, you have black men who are in the room and still won't say anything. And this is the thing: they are they're worried about their careers, and justifiably so, because these women will either get you fired or they'll make it to where you can't get a job anywhere else. I told you guys about the scholar whose research was on black boys being trafficked in the sex industry that nobody talks about. He had to reach out to me and ask him to ask me to remove his name from the title of my video. Now he was gracious enough to let me keep the video up. And I shout out, I thank him for that. But he had to remove, he asked me to remove his name because he was going up for jobs at different places. And the feminists on the committee would constantly use that interview where he prioritized boys. That was his research. But they use that to justify not hiring. They, they you know, so you, so you're seeing black men being punished who are actually trying to advocate. So even when you have black men in the room who are professors, who who are professionals, these guys will absolutely be silent because they, they have to run the risk of not being able to support their families if they go against this kind of uh, little bully mob of black feminists. And I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many white collar academics, professionals, or whatnot will reach out to me from the clouds and talk to me about things they've experienced in alignment with what the things that I've talked about in my shows, but they will never come forth publicly because the cost is too great. Uh, let me shout out two posts that need to be said. Great I9, appreciate that support. He says, lobsters and crabs are cooked alive in warm water, heated to a boil. The souls of our black boys are cooked alive in this low boiling contempt. Yep. Absolutely true. Uh, shout out to the mad professor, Dr. Ron O'Neill says, black feminism is an ivory innocence project absolve white people from the sins of American history. Yeah, absolutely. And that absolution comes at the expense of black males. Um, you know, but I will say, before we get back to Ishmael Reed, there are some black women that are starting to figure out the game, especially in this current political moment and this current economic moment. How it's received is gonna be a question because one, how many black men or black women will take this new position is questionable. And two, whether or not it's sincere and whether or not black men should act accordingly in regard to what they want is questionable. So I'll show you two, two quick clips. I'm going to get uh, journals' responses to them, show them back to back. 
and then we'll go back to Ishmael Reed. So this is the first. By getting rid of the men, leaving the women, children, and elderly vulnerable. How does one get rid of men, you ask? Humanizing, degrading, stripping them of their lack of resources, which affects the ability to provide. Violation of everything that man believes makes him a man. Final step is to rid him of the one thing that he has left, the only thing that he could depend on and build him up. His woman. woman who has felt her man's pain, held him while he licked his wounds, preparing him and being his incentive to fight another day. His woman is now getting the opportunities that he can't get, and her experiences are not the same as the ones he described to her. After a while, she starts to buy into the false narrative that was created about him. So no longer does she uplift and support him because she feels, if I could do it, you could do it too. She starts to measure her man by the example of other men of other nations, and she starts to resent him. Her words are used as weapons against him, and her once nurturing and caring tone is now filled with venom, and they're like punches to his gut. She no longer respects him. Now, his woman is advocating with the masses that her man is worthless. Those are daggers to his heart. He is officially alone, prey, ready to be slaughtered, and his woman is handing him over on a silver platter. What the woman doesn't understand is that she's a pawn. She's so caught up in living her best life, she doesn't realize that she is now vulnerable. The same tactics that were used to destroy her man will be used against her, and she will be replaced. Look around you. The pieces are already being put in place. Yeah. First things first, black women. Fuck being independent. They only did that shit so we wouldn't have men around to protect us when they came to get the kids. Don't be stupid. This is bigger than independence. This is bigger. Fuck that shit. Black men, you were right. They played us. I agree with you. But at the end of the day, we need you now to be humble and come to our aid because it's about to get gritty now. Shout out to Phil the Advice Show. Uh, any thoughts about that, man? Any, either one of them. This is a game that's been played on cultures for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It's like you were talking about, Doctor uh, Doctor T, how um, racism is really black misandry because the strength is really in the men. I go back to, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I got to go back to the Bible. I go back to the Book of Exodus, and mm-hmm. it was talking about how the Hebrew people were in Egypt. And it all started because Pharaoh said, these Hebrew people are getting too strong, so we have to do something about the men. Mm-hmm. We have to cut down their numbers. I mean, so because he realized that the power and the, the foundation of a strong society is built on the shoulders of men. And once you can tear down the men, you leave what they were talking about, you make the woman vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to our society, you know, we came in with the great society and you saw all of this investment into women and see when you pour money into a community and you give the money to the women you create a matriarchy because they hold the purse strings they hold the bag mm-hmm. and so when you like you say and, and you make us look weak by comparison you cre- like he was saying you create this resentment because we don't get the help that the women generally get and mm-hmm. so it puts them in positions of authority over us but it's always been this game to say we're going to come after the men we're going to tear them down and then we're going to play them against each other by empowering the woman Mm-hmm. And so, like we talk about, it's like you were saying there, it's an uncovering because they're out there without us because we've been clipped. 
mm-hmm. but they've been empowered against us. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and this is this is that's what's so cold about, especially the, the first video, right? I've been saying this for years. That's the first time I actually caught uh, caught it put together so so succinctly from a woman. Um, but you know, she lays it out. She said, you know, basically we, you know, we have been played. This is how, and, and what, what, what they're finding is that this is now being pulled. These resources are being pulled, right? The things that they've traditionally gotten comfortable with going back decades, right? right. You know, post-World War II in some respects, right? Especially in urban areas, these resources are being pulled and they're now mm-hmm. starting to experience life the way black males experience it. When you hear these statistics, about black being black women being the most evicted, understand that that's going with the narrative of those who had a place to be evicted from. Right. Nobody wants to talk about the unemployment the, the the unemployment rate or the homelessness rate for black men before the pandemic. Right. What do you think the the pandemic made it better? It only got worse. So they're talking about black women being evicted, but they're not telling you how many black men have already been homeless in the first goddamn place. They don't come up in these articles. They don't come up in these kind of moments. So what you're seeing now is an experience that where black women are being introduced to the reality. And I can't, man, I can't tell you how many mothers have reached out to me in the last decade to tell me that they had no idea about how different black male life was until they had a son, <laughs> until they had a son. Now, this is not to say that having a son just makes her understand, but there, the women that did come forward almost always to a person had a son or a male that they were responsible for, and they found out firsthand, this is different. Something is not right. Some have reached out and told me they have a son and a daughter, and they've watched how the opportunities have presented themselves, and I'm going to get to that a little later in the show, to the girls in a very different way, and the boys got a very different treatment, and it often took having a young male or a male in their nest that they had to be responsible for before they could stand up and say, okay, I'm starting to see that there's something different before that, just like, uh, you know, both women said in the video clips I just played, they were oblivious to this, right? They were oblivious. They saw themselves benefiting and their first response was, well, if I can do it, you can do it. And if you can't do it and I can, there must be something deficient in you, right? Not that there's something systemically going on, not that there's something that needs to be, you know, discussed and really studied and pulled out and really looked at with some degree of nuance. No, it's simply a matter of you're deficient because you're not accomplishing what I'm accomplishing. And then in the last five years, how many videos have we seen where they're talking about, oh, black women are dancing circles around men and men can't keep up. And you got women working at liquor stores asking for CEO six figure earning black men and then being frustrated when they can't date them. And, and, and somehow because the subtext is that no matter what black men achieve, they're still beneath black women. Right. They're still beneath them. They may be financially useful but they're still beneath them. And the whole reason you have this hierarchy, one that I think Oprah had a lot to do with in the 1980s, this hierarchy, but it goes back much further. It's just, that's when it really got popularized to another, a whole nother degree. The whole reason you have this hierarchy of black women being on top of black men is for everything the first video clip I played laid out. The options that were made available to her gave her a literal, just a different life experience. One that came with options like steady employment, one that came with access to higher education, one that came with a white collar lifestyle more apt to them, right? But either way, it came in such a manner where it wasn't a life and death thing to get an apartment. You know what kind of brothers, you know, the stories brothers tell me about trying to even just rent an apartment, even if they don't have a jail record. I mean, hell, I've said this before, even when I moved to Fresno, 
I had a PhD and a letter in hand saying I was already hired at Fresno State to start in the fall. I had to go through 50 different places just to find one place that would rent to me. Just one. This is a common experience. And again, if I'm doing this with a doctorate, what the fuck do you think the average brother with the what blue collar brother is dealing with? You know what I mean? These are the and these and that's just renting. We're not talking about anything else beyond that. And there's a million things we could talk about, but this is the dynamic, right? The superiority complex didn't come out of nowhere. It came with resources that reinforced this idea of superiority and black male inferiority. And those resources for poor women were played out through welfare benefits. Through middle class women, they were played out through education and white collar employment. Those were the two ends of the spectrum: poor women, middle class women. Niggas wasn't shit was an inevitability. The yeah. concept of it right. was inevitable. Right. If you're going to provide access and resources to women across a class spectrum, simply on the basis of them being black, and then at the same time telling them that the men ain't shit because their men don't have the same access. You know, any thoughts on that before I get back to Ishmael Reed? Can I jump in real quick, Layman? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, because um, I, I'm sorry, y'all. I was... I couldn't get it, so I wanted to do. I just wanted to respond to that and then jump off. First, Hassan, thank you. Uh, I never take for granted whatever you have me on the show, so I really appreciate you. Uh, for those, uh, I just want to give him a give him a shout out. For those who don't know him, uh, I know him offline, and Hassan's a solid brother. So I want to give him a public shout out because um, with all the stuff I've been going through, Hassan was one of the dudes who was reaching out to me. So I'm publish, publicly shout out shout him out for that. And also, just I'll just close with this, right? Oh, uh, and I heard what you were saying, layman. So appreciate you for for that affirmation because um, and that joint sometimes I'd be like, dang, but you know, no regrets, no regrets. I'd be like, dang, I used to be a feminist, but like you said, no regrets, no regrets. Um, I just wrap it up with this, right? One thing I was always taught as a feminist was, you don't, you're not supposed to center black men because if you do that, then only black men will get free. My question is. If that's that's one of the launching points, the starting points, and the things we need to address as black people, then why would we want to turn around, swing the pendulum to the completely different side, and then say, you know what, we just need to free black women and queer folks, uh-huh. right? And then pretty much leave out black men. Uh-huh. So either so either one or two things, either we're not really talking about freedom, right? We're talking about somebody else just jockeying for a better position mm-hmm. or cause that's because you, cause you, Hassan, you know this, we see this in academia all the time. I'm sure Layman, you see this in the media in your positions where you work at really, it just be individuals jockeying for their position. Right. Mm-hmm. Like how can I move up? How can I get the next book deal, et cetera. Right. Or if we are talking about freedom, then we need to figure out a way that we're not going to alienate black men just, just so that you can get your freedom. So I want to close on that. Um, again, Hassan, thank you for having me on. Layman, thanks for chopping up with us, with Absolutely. y'all. And I oh, think good. eventually we want to, we want to get to a point where we just we boycott color purple. Well, that's, that. Yeah, and we were going to close on that, but I don't care putting it on the table right now. Yes, yep. boycott. All right, y'all. Give my Peace best. Up. Give my best to the babies, man. <laughs> Definitely. Actually, that's where I'm going. I'm going to pick them up right now. <laughs> that's what's up. Handle that, man. All right, y'all. Peace. All right. Be good. Um, Journal, like I said, you're welcome to stay. It's up to you, but I know this was unexpected, so uh, I get it. Your schedule may be what it is. Just let me know. All right, I'm good right now. Okay, appreciate that. Um, let me go ahead and put this back on screen. 
we're going to get back to Ishmael Reed, right? And his reading of this. Now, this is an incredibly important moment right here or, or juncture uh, in this particular essay. He raises something that I think is important that we've underestimated and overlooked. We talk about how the color purple has impacted the black community, and rightly so. We don't often talk about how the color purple is perceived by largely white audiences. And so this clip is incredibly important. Um, you know, so let me go ahead and let Snoop get, give it to you. Diane Johnson was prophetic when she observed, as quoted in a 1979 discussion of Toni Morrison by Colette Dowling in the New York Times, that among whites, Johnson said largely white audiences, there was a big demand for black incest novels, Dowling notes. Johnson alone raised the possibility that Toni Morrison's largely white audience thrills voyeuristically to the black magic she invokes. We press our noses to the window to see the black mama suckling her schoolage son, the black papa committing incest. Perhaps what is exciting about the violence and depravity in Morrison, she concludes, is that they confirm white fears. Morrison, however, wasn't obligated to feminist groupthink. She was on her deathbed when we discussed the neglect by feminists of her classic, Tar Baby, in which women are as susceptible to human foibles as men. Her antecedent is Zora Neale Hurston, a political conservative and non-feminist, who wrote a menstrual show in which Africans are depicted as cannibals. Okay, so just real quick, and I hope that you could hear that. Did that play out? Yeah, I could hear it. Okay, so he talks about here, he's quoting from Diane Johnson and, and, and naming this phenomena that really impacts not only the color purple, but also other films. Uh, uh, I can't, I'm blanking on the name of the first film we know from Sabidi, what's her name? Um, the one she did with... Precious... Precious, thank you, right? Except in that film, you had the mother who was forcing her daughter to, you know, engage in acts of sex, engage in sexual acts. But what he's talking about here is voyeur, voyeurism, right? He's talking about this kind of uh, primitive, uh, exoticized uh, act of incest that is, you know, it, 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 to most people, just completely not worthy of discussion. And yet when it comes to depictions of blackness on screen, uh, he's talking about the, the the means by which white audiences are intrigued and it, it, by this kind of ongoing re-representation of these sexually deviant practices in black families. And so in essence, when you get to the color purple, part of what we're talking about are the ways in which these kinds of films support white narratives of, of especially deficient black men, right? Criminalistic, morally bankrupt black men and, and how feminists who are largely promoting this benefit. Their careers are advanced. And this is not just limited to the Academy. Once we saw Oprah do it, it became something that really, you know, expanded in the media industry as well. So, you know, this is part of what we're seeing in this, where, you know, this, this depiction of Black family and most particularly Black men is so, it, it has become so rampant. It becomes something that people want to see and experience. It's titillating. It's disgusting. But it's, it's all those Black people over there that do it. And, you know, this is this is where a lot of the fixation and the fetishization of films and novels like The Color Purple play out. Any thoughts about that journal? I remember there was a video that came out on YouTube. This is maybe five or six years ago. I forget the title. It was something called uh, Something About the Johnsons or Something Peculiar About the Johnsons. And it was a story about this uh, this incestuous relationship between a, a father and his son. Mm -hmm. And the mother being caught up in the beginning. I forgot. I, I wish I could remember it right now. But it, it's something that went viral. Mm. And of course, it was produced by someone who was, you know, non-black. 
and everybody was 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 you know enthralled by it. But it's it's <laughs> it's something about it how you know you talk about how we're always perceived as predators, and you talk about how black women are always seen as being strong and heroic. And even when you talk about in sports, you know they love to tell the story of the black athlete who was raised by the single mother. Mm-hmm. about the father mm-hmm. who wasn't around even in situations where the father was around i mean mm-hmm. we talk about i was thinking about zion williamson you know a great player for the uh new orleans pelicans mm-hmm. they talk about how his mother taught him how to play basketball mm-hmm. when he realized the man had a he he had a stepfather that was active in his life his real father who was active in his life so mm-hmm. this is a kid who grew up with two fathers but the narrative was about his mother mm-hmm the entire time, even when that uh, that that sprinter that just uh, uh, I forget her name, who just retired. Gosh, I wish I could remember her name. They NBC was doing all these um, ads about her and her daughter, mm. and the woman was married the whole time. Got married before she even had the kid. Wonderful mm-hmm. relationship, but that was xed out. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. uh, it's 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 part of the dividing, the, the whole predatorship of the black man that we're not supposed to be there. I mean, as Dr. Talib, I'm sorry, not Dr. Talib, Dr. The Hood Scholar was talking about Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and how they were against the nuclear family. You know, that organization with the uh, with the mm-hmm. three feminists that were running it. Right. You right. Know, it, it's, it's, it's a longstanding practice. We're the and predators, I, we're the bad guys, we're the uh, initiators of incest, as it was in the color purple. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes on. I, I need to shout out Brother Torrin Walker. Who is he's on YouTube? He has a channel on YouTube. Look up Torn Walker. He's been a guest to the show several times. He's mainly on Twitter, more than likely, but he he does a lot more on Twitter. He just did an interview. I think it was on uh, Roland Martin, where he was engaging Melina Abdullah, uh, you know, of uh, BLM, and he was, you know, he was really, you know, engaging or grilling her about it. And one of the things he pointed out was, um, you know, about this whole kind of practice of using black male bodies but what really was happening in that interview and i may do something on it but if you if you if you haven't seen what i'm talking about go to twitter look up torn walker t-o-r-r-a-i-n-e walker and and check out the interview on roland martin or you can go to roland martin's channel if you so choose uh but what he was really doing was challenging the reintroduction of the same kind of misandry that became popular in 2015 in blm and the rise of blm culture Right. He's challenging it because right now BLM is trying to restructure. They got lawsuits going on. Uh, they're going bankrupt. And so you have other uh, other aspects of the BLM community trying to take over the organization and, and you know, bring it back to prominence, as it were. And, um, and now I'm not talking about the movement of black people who are opposing racism and, and, and police brutality, but I am talking about the formal organization of Black Lives Matter. And so Walker Torrin was challenging Right. This this re-rise of BLM, which is, a you know, potentially something that can take place by challenging the culture of misandry within it. Now, understand BLM is a product of everything from, uh, you know, intersectionality, Kimberly Crenshaw, 1989, and even the kind of misandry rampant in films like The Color Purple. This whole culture of black male hatred that's not only coming out of the academy, but links to the low boiling contempt that many black women have learned from their mothers and grandmothers to have for black men. All of this has merged together in a very interesting kind of way where it's produced this toxic stew of hatred for black men and boys. 
right? And so this is one of the things that, that we have to challenge. We have to fight it at every curve, at every opportunity, and point out the historical accuracy of what took place in contrast to the kind of things that we're told. This is why, you know, shout out to Golden Child. Um, he brings up, you know, uh, Ebony K. Williams, right? The same oh, yeah. type of hostile misandry rampant in her commentary, right? That she had to try and take steps, steps back from. Because here's the other thing. The era is changing. The, the time period where, where, where Black feminists could get up and make these kinds of statements, now they're seeing men pushing back against them in ways that's never happened before. I mean, when, right. back when you had uh, Ishmael Reed on Tony Brown's journal, he was like the lone gunman. He was out there making points about feminism. Um, uh, Robert Staples, sociologist, uh, was writing works challenging these popular black feminist depictions. Look up Robert Staples if, you, if you're not familiar. He's done some fabulous work going back to the, you know, hell, at least the 70s, talking about this very thing. He died a few years ago. Nobody credits them. These guys were out there by themselves making these kind of statements, but it's only now where I'm starting to see scores of black men who are starting to challenge this on social media, challenge it on contemporary media and push back against these narratives. And many of these feminists like Ebony K. Williams are so unfamiliar with black men challenging them. They don't know how to respond because we've always been told to be quiet. And in many ways, we were never given the platform that black women were. We didn't have Steven Spielberg doing movies about relationships from a black male standpoint, right. what kind of abuse you may experience, or the ways in which women can quote unquote abuse you by using the law against you, right? By by actually physically assaulting you. And when the police show up, you're the one that leaves in handcuffs. These are common experiences that black men can talk about and have had for decades, right? There's ways that women have manipulated that dynamic. And we can go on and on. We talked a few weeks ago about jury exploitation, the ways even in a divorce and in family court, women can take advantage of these settings and use them against black men because for the most part, we know we're not going to be given a, a fair shake in these institutions. So these are the kind of things that we have to call out and we have to challenge. And the more we do it, the more we create a response that makes, that limits how impactful these negative experiences we've been having from these these. Uh, what I used to call them, black feminist nationalists, uh, the the impact they have, right? Um, but here, let me go back and we'll continue because he makes some more statements here about incest that I think are important. There have been black incest novels before, but they didn't have the powerful backing accorded Alice Walker's The Color Purple, which has become a sacred American text and its film adaptation by Steven Spielberg, a sacred film. There was then a sacred musical with a book by feminist Marsha Norman. Comedian Paul Money has wondered why there hasn't been a color purple on ice. Yes, I'm Tilly says I'm obsessed with the color purple. Maybe the color purple, marketed by the white male patriarchy, is obsessed with the stereotype of the black predator for profit. All right. Any thoughts about that? <laughs> oh, the, the, it was clear yeah, that the, 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 uh, the video I was talking about was the, the strange thing about the Johnsons. Mm -hmm. But yeah um the black predator is is for them is good for business mm -hmm. you know uh you <laughs> we talk about you often talk about proxy violence yes sir and how the you know the media records it or reports it as uh men on men mm -hmm. but rarely did you see them go into the background and see that that was a man that was put against another man because some woman put a battery in his back mm -hmm. his, his back in his back Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes it's with, it's with the um, the baby mama is mad at the boyfriend and vice versa, and she's telling one against the other, and they come at each other. 
okay but really do you see the opposite side of them being held accountable for their role in that in that situation but um <laughs> I, I i'm not surprised by it you know we always mm -hmm. talk about we like we were talking about with marvel and things like that you right. know we're, we're the only i guess you could say demographic of men where it's okay to villainize on a consistent basis mm -hmm. and we talk about how but you know a lot of it has to do with us not having too much representation in the film industry right you know? Well, in that and we're not highly litigious because that requires resources. But at the end of the day, uh, this is something that uh, uh, our, our brother Black Uru here on YouTube has been pushing for the last few years, that even when it comes to black women, of course, implicit in that is also when it comes to white society, black men in particular have to become far more litigious. We have to take people right. to court. We got to sue people who are misusing our image and become far more adept at it. Uh, and this is one of the reasons that, you know, uh, we've been having these conversations with lawyers like Dennis Sperling. We have to actually, you know, grow comfortable and actually taking people to court and challenging them. Because this is the kind of thing that backs people away from mistreating uh, you and your image when you actually when they actually learn there there's going to have to be repercussions. And this is one thing that we've not been adept at. We've not really challenged people to deal with repercussions. So most people, especially black women, are comfortable with talking, talking out, you know, at you like, you know, off the, out the side of their neck because they know you're not going to do anything. If you get, if they get physical with you, what are the repercussions that come from that? Like I said, you might end up dead or in jail behind her abusing you, right? These dynamics have tend to, tended to run one way for a long period of time. And I think people have been, have grown so comfortable with that, that the idea that black men are even thinking about pushing back, let alone doing so verbally or in social media, this is unheard of. Yeah, you know, shout out to YouTube because it was not until the last few years that we even, like you were talking about, how we even had a platform to speak back. Like mm -hmm. you said, I was born in 1980 and it's always been this one-sided dialogue or monologue where they could speak about us. Right. But it's only when the last two or three years when, you know, you know, a lot of this, our pushback and our talking points have become mainstream that you see this, this anger popping. What, you know, these black men can say something back now. Mm -hmm. This is not how it's supposed to go. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Kevin, Kevin had, Samuels used to call it the one-way aggression. But go ahead. Yeah, you know, like they had, like they've had Oprah, they've had Donahue, they've had Ricky Lake. You know, we've always been, uh, you know, uh, something they can just tear down without response. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know? And so yeah. I guess we're in, in this new territory and it's a good thing that we have a voice and say some, saying something back. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is this is why a lot of what I've tried to do on YouTube is help to create concepts and terms that come directly out of our experiences so that we can articulate. Because a lot of the time when it comes to, you know, dealing with issues of race and gender, if you're a black man, especially if you're in the academy, the only language you're allowed, you're, the only language you're really given and that's considered authentic and, and, and verified, you know, the only language, it's, it's usually a black feminist language. But again, those concepts do not necessarily speak to our experiences. So we have to develop our own. So my whole focus initially when coming to YouTube was to help create the language and invite brothers to help me do it so that we can develop a terminology that's more specific. And, and even though I'm not trying to tell brothers what conclusions to reach, I want brothers to be able to articulate themselves. And then we can figure out where we want to go with this, what we want to do about it, what do we want to see at the end game. But none of that, in my assessment, can happen until we can clearly articulate what's going on with us. And so that's been my primary focus in doing this. And I think it's necessary. And I think we're starting to see brothers, you know, really pushing back. 
because you know even when i was in school i would read this stuff and i always felt something like just it's something just didn't feel right and i didn't know how to explain it and a lot of what it was is the shit that we were told was not applicable to us mm-hmm. you know but but the history of this was complicated because you know traditionally when you when you read about black figures from the past it was usually something that applied to your current life and you could use it you know if you read about du bois if you read about uh, Huey P. Newton, if you read about, you know, it didn't matter, whoever the historical figure was, you know, there was usually some kind of application in the current moment where it applied. But when you started to see this rise of black feminism, it was like, eh, there's something about this that, you know, I, a lot of men couldn't put their finger on. But again, we didn't have a platform to respond anyway. You're right. Even if we did have a response, it, you know, it, it, we didn't really have a space where we could be heard in our, and, and, and really to also develop the language over time. This is why right. I said earlier, you go from Oprah, you go to intersectionality, and then, you know, a couple decades later, you have an organization like BLM that's grappling with 90 million. And that's just after George Floyd's death. I don't know how much they made prior to that. That came out of a process that started with a language, that started with media representation, and then it snowballed into an entirely different, uh, you know, kind of context. We've not had that legacy. That we've right. not had that experience. Nobody is coming in and funding black men with $10 billion. It's not happening. <laughs> Goldman sucks. Exactly. The, the closest we got to that was when affirmative action was initially being discussed. It was supposed to be around black men. It was usurped by white women when they introduced gender into the policy. And then from there, you had black women serving as the, you know, a dual capacity of being both women and black. Right? So you had you know, corporations and institutions that wanted federal funding that would first bring in white women, and then they got a twofer when they would bring in black women. So you didn't see a mass shift in black men being able to you know, provide you know, stability, especially after deindustrialization, the end of the 70s, when these jobs went overseas. That was where the average black male you know, built his legacy, was off of stable factory blue collar work. Once that went overseas, it's not an accident you saw a rise in the, in the drug trade. And, right. and, and and contrary to movies, you know, you, you, it wasn't just about a bunch of ruthless black men that wanted to kill people and make drugs or sell drugs. It was necessity in many ways because the, the, the job market was dead. Yep. It was absolutely dead. And now your woman is going to college and she's working a white collar job anywhere from a secretary to an office manager. And she's making money and you can't. And so mm-hmm. with, with that video clip I played earlier, the woman, when she starts talking about you know, of course, there's a contempt that begins to develop the more men can't provide a stable you know, resource base, but women can. Right. But instead of right. seeing that as, you know, the, the superstructure allowing for her to do so for possibly dangerous reasons, the average black woman just looked at the dude in front of him like you ain't shit. Huh. And this is where that goes. Right. And we can talk about a lot of other things. You'll see this in my upcoming book. There's a lot of different facets to this from birth control to you know, to, to education, to, to incarceration. There's so many other factors that played into this diversion, this bifurcation of the black male female experience. Black women, more more than more than not, were able to move into some level of apparent stability. Right? They right. weren't making as much as white women, but they were able to get jobs. They were able to get places to live, and they were able to live sustainably, whether poor or middle class. Black men, whole different experience. Right. Um, But anyway, so this is a little bit more uh, of Ishmael Reed. Phillips is one of those black writers whose criticism of the Alice Walker cult has been minimized by her supporters who, like Tillett, want to cast Walker's critics as a group of unreasonable black males led by me. That's how. MS. 
magazine put it in an outburst from writer Barbara Smith in 1991. At the time, MS was being bankrolled by Lang Communications, i.e. a bunch of white men. For corporate feminists, male chauvinists are all right if they invest funds in their projects. Even Henry Louis Gates Jr. thought that my being hammered by MS was over the top. But having been chosen by higher-ups as king of black culture, he has over the years called me an anti-feminist. Gates' idea of a feminist presumably is Harvey Weinstein, to whom he awarded a Du Bois medal at Harvard in 2014. Harvard has rescinded the award, and when asked to comment, the Times reported that Gates could not be reached. Phillips is one of... Okay, so here he's talking about uh, Miss Magazine, right? Uh, for the most part, uh, spearheaded by Gloria Steinem, funded so you know supposedly by the FBI, um, and, and with that, there are rumors about what role uh, Steinem played in helping to develop black feminism, suggesting in some aspects that she actually wrote some of the earliest texts by Michelle Wallace and others that basically framed black men as monsters right? and did so from this kind of pseudo intellectual academic standpoint. So Miss Magazine is, is, uh, is, is definitely a site of misandry that became a staple in some respects in the culture. And he's saying that Miss Magazine was financed by Lane Communications, right? Yeah. And so even though you have this kind of push against patriarchies, patriarchy seems okay as long as you have these white men with resources funding black endeavors. And you can find this to be the case even with Goldman Sachs, as you pointed out a couple minutes ago. And Goldman Sachs is putting forth $10 billion. I ain't heard no complaints about patriarchy at an institutional or corporate, corporate level. Right? When $10 billion is on the table, ain't no such thing as a patriarch as long as they're paying you. Right. But there's no conversation about what kind of investments corporations or institutions, even federal and state institutions, are willing to make for black men. No conversation. Right. And so this is, again, when I played the two women's clips, the first woman actually kind of pointed this out. She was saying, in essence, you know, these monies, these resources and these opportunities were targeted for black women and not to black men. And, and, and black women didn't stop to say, I wonder why this is happening. I wonder why what's going on. See the difference between this this current generation and and and, and our great grandmother's generation is racism still existed when it came to great grandmothers. They understood that this happened. They understood that black men would suffer from it, and, and there would be a difference in treatment to some extent. But when you get post nineteen eighties, the road is greased to such a degree that the problem has to be him, and these niggas ain't shit becomes a, a mantra. Um. So like I said, I'm not going to play this whole thing, but it is a good article to read. I'll put the link, and I think it's in the, I already put it in the description box. I'll go ahead and put it in the chat. It's a very interesting article to read. Uh, it's, it's you know, he's a writer. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to have to spend some time with it. That's why I wanted to kind of, you know, just kind of get at some of the parts of it because it might be a while going through this whole thing. And I apologize because a lot of this is powerful. But I just wanted to kind of put it on the table because it's important that we look at historically how black men have addressed this rising misandric feminism against black men, how they responded to it and what they've, you know, what, what kind of things they put on the table for us to do and, and engage, because this is not a given that these things will be made available to us. Right? Um, now, alongside this, I wanted to point out one other thing. Um, well, actually, before I do anything you want to say before I transition to something else, about what we just seen. Now you said it, like the, the outside hands influencing our community with uh, Lang Communications and you know outsiders pulling the strings, even going back to when Ice Cube came up with his uh, contract with Black America, how mm -hmm. you saw the opposition right. 
coming from black women against him. And it wasn't just for black men. It was for all black people. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you saw the demand when you got to carve something out for black women, because we're not a part of you. We're, we're a separate group. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and how they shot that down, but then they took the little crumbs that Goldman Sachs put out. His mm-hmm. plan was for, I think a trillion dollars. Oh and then, you know, they shot it down for the 10 billion they got, you know, but it's, 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 they've always used a sort of like, you know, going back to the whole Cold War between the Soviet Union and United States. Mm-hmm. They never went against each other, but they would get these little satellite countries that they would fund and go to war, you know, against each other on, on our behalf or their behalf. Right. And it's the same game they're playing with us. Well, and it's not an accident that when you talk about cocktails with Queens and uh, then Ice Cube, that that pivotal moment where you saw the, you know, the whole question, because I've said this for years, black men, for the most part, even with our foibles, we still tended to look at things from a black communal standpoint. When we proposed ideas for uplift, when we talked about what needed to happen politically and culturally, much, much of the time we were talking about the black community as a whole. I think we greatly underestimated how many black women were talking about black women. We thought, you know, we tried to treat it like it was the same thing, but I think that Ice Cube moment made it such that we could no longer ignore. And this even goes to the Nationalist Brothers, who got real quiet after that to some extent, because it it meant that you could no longer tap dance around the reality of how deep anti-Black misandry is in the Black community to the degree that you had Black women who were actively working on to their own benefit. I'm seeing Black women creating businesses that only cater to other Black women in terms of who they're desired uh you know customers are i'm seeing grants that are we'll get to that in a second we saw we talked about goldman sachs you know google mastercard visa number of other corporate organizations began to pre-create uh rationales to support only black women and a lot of this had to do with the fact that black women uh had worked their way into corporate america and had actually started to advocate for these corporations to put money into black communities to make themselves look good, but only to the extent that it only benefited black women and girls. And this is so greatly underestimated the impact of this. I talked about this a while ago. I I described it as almost a kind of colonization or gentrification of the black community where black women are being, you know, revamped into a gatekeeping um, kind of buffer class. Right. They're not given what white women have, but they're given just enough to be loyal and just enough to stand above black men. And this is where you have the rise of this independent. I don't need a man culture, especially again in the 1980s. It comes out of resources. This is why we have the black male political agenda. This is why we're talking about politics. I don't believe that, you know, politics are the answer to everything, but you can't skip it over because a lot of the things we're fighting against are policy based. So when people tell me you don't talk about white supremacy enough, every time you hear me use the word policy, that's exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. But white supremacy means so many different things to so many people. You know, it it just becomes a word that the feminist turn. Look, I'm talking about policy for a reason, because the behaviors, the attitudes, they come out of material decisions that affected people's actual lives. And you have black women in positions in these corporations and in state and federal government that are only operating on the behalf of other black women. Because they see the, each other as on the rise, on the uplift. They see black men as inherently deficient. The, the, the contempt that Ebony K. Williams demonstrated is rampant throughout a lot of that culture of black women, you know, as BGS would call them, the 92, uh, you know, black, black women who are, who are moving into the corporate space. They're trying to be entrepreneurs. They want to be moguls and bosses. 
that culture is 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 tied to the very misandry we see. And I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, I'm gonna give you an example. So this is coming from one one social media post, just one. I'm gonna list off for you about 40 different grants that are only earmarked for black women. Grants from the Amber Grant, the Cartier, the Cartier Women's Initiative, the, Aline, uh, the, the Ellen Fisher Women-Owned Business Grant Program, the National Association for the Self-Employed, the Halstead Grant, the Innovate Her Challenge, the Tory Birch Foundation Fellows Program, the African Women's Development Fund, the Open Meadows Foundation, the Women's Business Center, the Girl Boss Foundation Grant, the Minority Business Development Agency Business Center, the National Black MBA Association Scale Up Pitch Challenge, the FedEx Small Business Grant uh, Contest, Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Programs, the Minority Business Enterprise Certification, National Minority Supplier uh, Developmental uh, Development Council Business Consortium Fund, the Rise of the Rest Seed Fund, the Small Business Association Community Advantage Loan Program, the Zions Bank Smart Women Smart Money Grant, the Digital Digital Undivided BIG Innovation Center Grant, the Local Initiatives Support Corporation Small Business Relief Grants, the National Association of the Remodeling Industry Business Development Fund, the National Association of Women Business Owners Education Fund Grant, National Institute for Health Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Programs, National Science Foundation Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Program, Small Business Development Centers Program, U.S. Black Chambers Inc. Foundation Grant, Women's Economic Ventures Grant, Women's Foundation of California Grant, National Association of Realtors Reach Commercial Accelerator Program, Black Girl Ventures Pitch Competition, Black Women's Health Imperative Entrepreneurship Center, Cartier Women's Initiative North America, National Association for Common College Entrepreneurship Pitch Competition, Small Business Technology Transfer and Small Business Innovation Research Programs at the Department of Energy, National Association of Home Builders, Professional Women Building Scholarship, National Urban League Entrepreneurship Center Program, U.S. Department of Agriculture Rural Business Development Grant, Women's Business Enterprise National Council Student and Entrepreneur Program. This is from a woman named Quinta Prim. That's just one post that wow. was put up with 40 different grants. And to all of you that heard the grants that didn't hear women in the title, Here's how you can tell if they're prioritizing women and girls. Go look up the last few recipients. Matter of fact, look up as many recipients as you can, and you tell me how many black males you see winning. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The institutionalization of misandry is so rampant mm -hmm. and deeply structured, and it's been going on for, for, for at least 40 years. It's, it's, it's such that we don't know how to talk about it. Because, again, when it's your sister that gets it or your wife that gets it, what are you going to do? be negative about it, even if you suspect something, even if you yourself have been rejected, right? You want to support those you love, but at the same time, you know something's happening and she won't talk about it. Maybe even she doesn't even uh, see it. I, I can't, I've had past girlfriends that have told me, oh, we should both apply for this. And my qualifications far exceeded hers, but who gets the grant, right? And it's not a competition. I'm not mad at her. I'm just recognizing that there's something going on. Now, what I do notice between her and I is she has benefited from a culture that's taught her that there's a safety net on her behalf. Yep. And, and, and we don't have any illusions about a goddamn safety net. You tell me if I'm wrong journal. Oh no, we don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, speaking in my anecdotally in my own life, I have a friend of mine. She has uh, her father, her two uncles and three aunts, six kids by her grandparents. Mm -hmm. The grandfather sent 
all the girls to college. Told the boys to get a job. See that? I, I remember the last one of the last times I was in church, there was a pastor, had twins. They were both 18, 19 years old, off to college. Mm. He bought his daughter a brand new car, told his son to catch the bus. See? Yeah. You know, so yeah. this it, it, it's programmed that hey, we're gonna help out the girls and you, you, you jiggers go figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, we gotta help them. You just you just we just throw you out there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the impact it has, you know, you get to a point where, you know, you're of a certain age, you're dating, you're you're trying to find relationships, regardless of what type, you run across this over and over. And what I think it's done, and I'm going back to this because I think it's more important than I may be letting on, the culture amongst, you know, uh, black women on the quote unquote rise is that there's not only a safety net, but there are stairs that can be climbed. I'm not saying black women don't experience racism. I'm not saying that they don't experience sexism. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that with these kinds of institutional resources at her behest, from family court to corporate sponsorship to government policy, these things bring black girls up with a sense that there's something they can do, somewhere they can go, and there are resources available to them. Black boys don't get shit. Right. And what we do here when black boys do demonstrate insecurity or frustration, which often comes out as hostility and contempt. And, and you know, this, this is how our boys are engaging all this negative energy. They're feeling it. Nobody's justifying it. Nobody's explaining it. So it explodes out, especially in the youth. The response is, well, their fathers aren't here. And it just becomes dismissed. But nobody wants to talk about the, the absence of the societal investment in black boys who eventually become black men with no safety nets. Hence the homelessness you know, issues I talked about earlier. So when you have this kind of culture, that's probably at this point, three, four generations in at least, it's not an accident that you have a different worldview from many young black men and young black women. Young black women go into, the, into life with this expectation that something can be achieved. Black men are shamed against an expectation about achievement when they have no resources to back this shit up. So we watch our sisters, our wives, our girlfriends progress. And even those of us that do progress, do not do so with a Disney outlook. We don't, we don't progress because we know something, something, somebody or something is going to help us out. We do it in spite of knowing that it's not going to happen. And then we're still told that because other black men are not as successful, it's still evidence of our overall deficiency. Right? Yeah. So this is this is this is just some of this I, I wanted to put on the table as we watch this color purple movie, because what they're trying to do is inoculate black women yet again with the same inoculation they gave them in the 1980s. That's rooted in misandry, while at the same time providing white society with yet another opportunity to voyeuristically look into black America and say, look at how deficient these niggas are. Yep. Sexually deficient, intellectually deficient, societally deficient. You know, look at this. Look at this mess over there. Look what they're doing. We've become a cautionary tale for every other group or what not to do. And at the end of the day, of all the critiques that you'll hear, even from within Black America, nobody wants to talk about the institutional investment in Black dysfunction and the gender war that came about as a response to policy. Right. Nobody wants to talk about that. But um, any closing thoughts, good brother? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this stuff, it starts with culture. It starts with media. 
it starts with us having a voice. Now, it's good to have, for us to have this here on YouTube. We can say things, but some people don't want to sit through an intellectual argument. This is why we have to celebrate films like Creed 3, mm. where we can get our narrative out and point, and point a, a, a differing picture. You know, it's a shame that I can't think of any other films right now off the rip. Right. But this this is something that's been ongoing for a long time. They, they've put it to art and it's become policy, like you said. Um, I'm sure, you know, you know, you have your uh, your, your points with the uh, black, the political male. Po- I'm sorry. What was it again? Black male political agenda. The black male political agenda. It mm-hmm. starts in places like that, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think, you know, that's why I say I'm so grateful for having, you know, because I've been watching you long before I've had a YouTube channel. I've been watching you for years. Oh, wow. You know, you. and a lot of the things that, you know, that I've taken into it, and even in my observation of entertainment media have come from the talking points and the words that you've put out here, things I didn't know about. Mm. And it's given me a different view as to how you has to, as to uh, how to critique and look at media. Wow. You know, wow. to realize that this isn't something that's just been popped up on us in the last couple of years. It's been going on. As far as my knowledge, even going back for decades, mm-hmm. 60s, who knows who knows how much longer. Yeah. Generation. Yeah. But hey man, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming up, especially with no notice. <laughs> he was just in the comment <laughs> section. I said, man, get up here. He's like, cool. And he came through and he didn't have to. So again, much appreciation to you. Uh I'll holla at you soon, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Shout out to Layman's Journal. Make sure you support layman's journal channel and in particular look for his review of the original uh color purple i think it's an excellent uh kind of breakdown you should check out again check out passport og his most recent breakdown of the color purple another interesting and excellent piece i'm not saying that just because i'm in it i'm saying it because he did a brilliant job of you know regardless of my 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 little clips so go check that out support passport og um you know i just wanted to get that out man because there's so much of this that's going on and I'm seeing an attempt to rehash the 1980s with these misandrists in the same way and, and hopefully spawn another generation. And I think in some respects, it might be even easier because at least in the 1980s, the, 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 the rampant misandry that would come out of the black community due to the works of uh, feminists like Michelle Wallace and, and others, uh, the works of Oprah Winfrey, uh, you know, Terry McMillan, all of these, you know, misandrists. The thing about it is uh, it's easier now because that's part of the culture, right? Whereas then it was being introduced for the first time. Now, you know, you got girls who are learning learning this from great grandmothers to grandmothers, to mothers, to daughters, to granddaughters, you know what I mean? It continues on in this way. And the boys in those environments just learn that they don't matter. They're, you know, <laughs> what was what was it said on Dr. Phil recent, recently? They're superfluous, right? They're, uh, you know, they're expendable. They're useful in terms of, you know, maybe having some company, maybe some sex, because that's what black men are known for. Um, you know, but for the most part, it really comes down to um, um, with far too many. It comes down to sperm and child support. That's what you have generations of girls learning about men. That's what their value is. Sperm and child support. You got little girls who are planning to be single mothers if they plan to have kids at all. This is part of something that's been passed down in the culture and the culture itself that we're at in terms of what we're at now. You know, much of this started with conversations in classrooms, conversations. Uh, I mean, it's not an accident. Oprah had a talk show, right, where these concepts were kind of sewn into the culture. 
And now it's reached a point where this is where we are. What's up, Passport OG? Uh, if you would, man, um, let me see. Uh, is that, yeah. Go ahead and put the link to your recent video in the chat so people can check it out, man. Appreciate you coming through. Anyway, um, I'm going to close there. I want to play a closing out song as long as I program this correctly <laughs> uh, of another track that the good brother Green Gorilla play, uh, made for me. Uh, so just don't forget, support, not only support the Green Gorilla channel, but remember, if you need some uh, custom music, you can actually go to Green Gorilla and actually have him make you some. So anyway, uh, provided this works out right, I hit this button. Y'all go ahead and check this out and I'll holla at y'all soon. Peace.